Can I steal? Good morning. That's a canvas. Yes, I know. Great insight. That's your first insight for the day. That's a canvas. Uh, this is a note card. Another great insight. Thank you. I have two fans in the room. I'm, I paid both of them to come. My daughter, Ella, my oldest daughter, about seven years ago when she was five years old, uh, she was in the living room and she needed to have something to do. I had something else to do. So I set up a little easel. It didn't have a canvas, but it had a, a white erase board on it. And I set it up for her and put out lots of markers for her to have lots of fun with her little pixie hair sticking up in its little rubber band tie. I can still see the moment. And it wasn't maybe a minute later, I had something to do. I'm trying to help her stay focused and have something to do that she'll enjoy. One minute later, I hear her call from the living room. I'm in the other room trying to get something done. And she says, Daddy, what do I do now? She had this big old whiteboard to draw on. So I get up and set the stuff down that I barely sat on my lap and walked into the living room to find out what was going on. And I didn't notice this, but there was a note card on the canvas, kind of like that. And she'd taken the markers and colored and drawn all over the note card and was now done. Oh, sweetie, you have the whole board to play with. You don't have to draw on that. Oh, I thought that's all you wanted me to color, Daddy. And she was busy for the next hour. In the book of James, if you have your Bibles, turn there. It's after Hebrews, before First and Second Peter. In the book of James, there's this very interesting verse that's difficult for me to understand, at least on the surface. On the surface, at the very beginning of the verse, I want to say, huh-uh. Now, you don't read the Bible that way. You read the Bible and always say amen and have a very sanctimonious halo hovering over you. I know. But for me, I often read the Bible, actually, and say, huh-uh. And this is another one of those verses. James chapter 5, verse 17, introduces a character to us that we may already know and we may not. Don't worry, you'll have intro to Old Testament, and then you still may or may not remember him. James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a person just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now here's the part where I say, huh-uh. Right here at the very beginning it says, Elijah was a person just like us. I want to say, apparently James didn't have introduction to Old Testament yet either. I mean, did you read the stories of Elijah, James? Were you too poor to be able to own a scroll? I could understand it at that day and time. Did you not listen in church? Most people don't. Synagogue, whatever, leave me alone. Back off, all of you. <laughs> think about it for a moment. I mean, Elijah, right? Think about it. just anything you can think from Elijah's life. Just randomly let them start popping into your mind. And it don't, they don't even have to be in a chronological order. It's not a test. There's no blue book in front of you, no Scantron. Just, just think what you can barely remember. I mean, he goes up into heaven in a chariot of fire. 
That's how he dies. I mean, you won't have that glorious of a death. It just won't be that dramatic. You can try, but it won't happen. It, it won't be that dramatic. Uh, throwing his cloak as he goes, you know, for Elisha to catch. Oh, then there's fire, another moment of fire, descending from heaven, consuming an altar, completely soaked with water, while prophets of a fake God, a no God at all, a made-up God out of the human mind, Baal, who supposedly was in charge of fire descending from heaven, can't get anything to come down. And he just says, you know, Lord, how about it? And <laughs> completely consumes the stones. <laughs> yeah, that's, that happens for me. I was, then there's, the, uh, there's this big drought and there's this famine going on. This isn't in chronological order. I'm not even trying. I just random. There's this famine going on. And so God tells him to flee. And he goes down to this ravine to hide. And ravens come in the morning bringing bread and meat. And ravens come in the evening bringing bread and meat. Every day. I mean, it's like he's Harry Potter or something, and a phoenix flies in with a sorting hat and an invisible sword of Gryffindor just at the last moment. Just whatever he needs, whoop, there it comes. Goes into a widow's house and a jar that was almost empty of oil and another jar that's almost empty of flour never runs dry, never becomes empty. And then the widow's son dies and he lays on the son's body, creepy. I don't do that kind of thing, but he did, at not just once, did it three times, and then the boy comes back to life. There you go, woman, there's your son. He's back to life. Elijah was a person just like us. Uh-uh. At least that's my reaction. No, he wasn't. His life is so extraordinary, so remarkable, that it feels like one big, long string of miraculous occurrences. It's phenomenal. And my life is so ordinary and mundane that it feels like a big, long string of meh moments. How was lunch? Meh. How was class? Ask my students. It was meh. He'll tell you. How's your marriage? Fantastic. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> but I don't feel like Elijah to you. And that's James' point. We don't feel like we have a canvas life. Elijah did. We feel like we got a note card life. And that's... James' point, he says, Elijah was a person, anthropos, not man, human, was a human just like us. To translate it kind of woodenly, the NAS says, Elijah was a person of like nature with us, or like kind Homoeopathes is the word of same passions, feelings, sentiments, insecurities, weaknesses. Go back and read it again. In 1 Kings 17 through 19, you'll find that Elijah gets scared to death at the very moment when God proves himself most powerfully. Go back and read it again, and you'll find that Elijah gets depressed to the point of despairing of life. 
I might as well die. Elijah feels isolated. Elijah feels alone. Elijah feels discouraged. Elijah wants to give up. Elijah wants to quit. Elijah says, God, just take my life. Have you ever felt that way? Elijah thinks, who am I to go to the king Ahab, who's killed plenty of people, Lord, and tell him it's not going to rain until I say so? Really? Now, I can say, Elijah, yeah, that's kind of like me. But what's the difference maker in between our feeling of having a note card life and the reality of Elijah's canvas life? What's the difference maker between being an ordinary person, which Elijah was, and having an extraordinary life? Don't you wish you could know that? Ahab and Jezebel look at Elijah and say, well, we can kill this one. He's no different than the other ones we've killed. No wonder why he runs scared. He looks at himself and realizes there's nothing different between me and the other ones they've killed either. What's the difference maker? Elijah was a person just like us. And. Some of your versions don't have the and in there because there's lots of ands in Greek that sometimes you just turn into a period because it becomes one massive run-on sentence that you feel like it will never end. Like some of the... Epistles feels like entire books of run-on sentences. It works in Greek. It does work in English. It's not wrong to have a period there. It just, there is an and in there, and I think it's pretty important here. It wasn't just that he was an ordinary person. There was an and in his life. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, a lot of people would focus here on the fact that he prayed earnestly, and I think there's some truth there. But why did he pray earnestly? It's not just that he prayed earnestly. Why did he pray earnestly? It's the same phrase. We translate it earnestly. It's like, with prayer he prayed. It's a way of emphasizing how desperately he was praying. Same phrase is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the way. With prayer he prayed. Earnestly he prayed. So earnestly, it was like sweat drops of blood, like globules so thick, either sweat. Some medical folk think actually maybe even blood emerging from the We don't know. There's an argument about that. I don't care. It was so earnest, he's dripping something onto the floor. When was the last time you prayed so earnestly in such anguish that globules of sweat of some kind were dropping to the ground? Why was Jesus praying earnestly? He was scared to death. Why was Elijah praying earnestly? He was scared to death. And what is Elijah praying that it would not rain. Now, there is a dumb prayer. Did you ever read scripture and think, dummy, that's not going to go well? I mean, you can read scripture like a novel that way, too. Like you're reading a novel, you see a character, you think, stupid. To pray that it wouldn't rain, think about this, or give due. Read back in in 1 Kings, and you'll find that it wouldn't give due or rain. The Greek says it won't moisten the soil in in the New Testament in James. So it's not just that it won't rain. It won't even moisten the soil. There won't even be due to pray that. And for that to happen for three and a half years means it would have been a worse drought than what the United States of America experienced last century in what we call the Dust Bowl. When the entire section of middle states started to become one big massive dust storm, 
It was so completely dry, even though it did sometimes rain and did sometimes do, that people had to walk outside with cloth over their mouths just to breathe. It caused one of the most massive migrations out of a set of states that the United States of America has ever seen and may ever see. Farms were closing down. Entire towns shuttered up everything and were abandoned completely. Roads were blocked up for miles with people stacking everything up like they could, like Beverly Hillbillies going to California, except not rich. Impoverished trying to get somewhere else where rain might fall. And it wasn't as bad as it was in Elijah's day. For him to pray for that to happen is to pray a death sentence over himself and a death sentence over everyone he loves and holds dear. Why would you pray that way? Now, we pray. I get it, you know, Lord, thanks for this food. Bless it to our bodies, even though all of it is fried. (laughs) And somehow give us more energy, like we would have had if we ate fruit, There's no line there in Baldwin. Go check. But still give us more energy to do your will. Or we say, Lord, we're going on a trip. Now I'm going to drive at a somewhat reckless speed, just shy of, uh, you know, being given a ticket or arrested. But please help us get there safely. And we'd really like to have a good time while we're there. Lord, uh, thanks for such a good day. I hope tomorrow will be better, though. And uh, I have a test for which I hope I'll wake up early enough, will you help me with that, to study. I know it's two in the morning, but help me to wake up in time to study for the test because I need this one, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Now we pray, but we don't pray stupid prayers. We pray our will. Everybody prays for their own will. Jesus prayed for his own will. Take this cup from me. Everybody prays for their own will. Very, 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 very few people pray for God's will, even when they think they are. So the first difference maker between Elijah and us is not the size of the canvas. We're all given a canvas life by our Heavenly Father. He won't paint the same painting twice. He's not the painter of light. He's the painter of life. It's not Kincaid. It's always different every time, but it's the same size life. Elijah was no bigger than us. The first difference maker is he listened for God's will. I know that's the theme of the semester. I know you've heard it over and over again, but listen, you're not doing it. So why shouldn't I say it again? Over and over, I have students in my office. I have premarital counseling students. I have pastoral counseling people who come to me. I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. They come to me as a pastoral counselor. I have advisees. I have mentees. And I have students in my classes. Over and over, they come. And I say, well, have you spent a significant season of time praying about this? Have you given God hours to get through to you? And over and over, what I hear is, I'm praying, but I know I'm not praying enough. I'm not trying to tell you to pray harder or pray more or try harder in a way that that is sort of works righteousness. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that if you want God to get through to you on important issues of life, you can't do it in 15 minutes. 
That helps you just deal with your anxiety and your selfish wishes and your will. You're not there yet, not in an Elijah kind of prayer. It takes time. It takes wrestling with your own thoughts. It takes writing them down and thinking, now, was that me, Lord, or was that you? It takes time in community where you bring what you thought you heard from the Lord and have others help you discern together. Is that God speaking? Are you listening for God's will? Uh, it says in 1 Kings that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. That's why he says, don't let it rain for three and a half years. It wasn't Elijah's idea. What a dumb idea it would have been to have. But God wanted to prove that he was God and not Baal, and that needed a famine. They still didn't listen anyway. So he prays for three and a half years. Now, second difference maker that I find between Elijah and us is that he doesn't just pray like we pray. We play, pray privately and then go on about our lives. Elijah does something. He, number two, risks himself for God's will. We have very safe prayer lives. We want God to do something, and we want to sit back like we're watching the World Series. Oh, aren't you excited about tonight? Just a moment for me there. Okay, thanks. Move on. Like we're watching the World Series, and if a rocket of a ball gets hit, we're nowhere near it hitting our shin. If we miss it with a glove, it's not going to hit our face, right? So it's God doing it. We want God to do it. We sit back. And either he does it or he doesn't. That's not the way Elijah prays. Elijah prays that it won't rain, and then he walks out and says, now Ahab, I know you kill people, and you're a pretty scary dude, and you got an even scarier wife, and sometimes she makes you kill people. And you were thinking, I didn't want to kill that one, but she wants me to kill that one, and I like hers, so I'll kill that one. But, and I know you'd really love to kill me for saying this, but it's just not going to rain unless I say so. Ahab already wanted to kill Elijah. He's a worshiper of Baal. He's a corrupt man. Elijah just gave him another reason. If it rains, no. If one drop falls, no. If there's dew on the ground in the morning, Ahab has a scriptural reason from that crazy book of the Old Testament that we just don't yet fully understand still yet today. He has an Old Testament reason to kill Elijah. He is a false prophet. If there's dew on the ground, anytime, Elijah stakes his reputation. Elijah stakes his neck on God's will. Do you want to pray more? I have a guaranteed way. Take a big risk. You take a big risk, I promise you, you'll start praying more. Why can't I get myself to have a better prayer life? Because you got a comfortable life. Why do you need to pray? Our whole society is wrapped up in insuring ourselves against every possible risk. We better not get outside the boundaries of this note card. What if it doesn't look really amazing? Well, then people might notice it. I'll just keep it down in this comfortable little square. I can handle that. If you're not taking risks, you're not praying. Now, now, here's this. If there's no risk, there's no faith either. When you have certainty, you don't need faith. Faith equals risk. It's a risk. Pascal called it the grand wager to bet your whole life on God. <laughs> don't you love it when you can say gambling in a church kind of context? Like, <sighs> all in, baby. 
It is a risk. It's a huge risk. And many people will think you're a fool. But there are smaller risks we're avoiding too. The sin we don't want to confess to the person we need to confess it to because we're afraid of rejection. The start, the start, the very first step of a big dream God has laid on our hearts, but we won't even take the first step because we're afraid, what if it fails? Walking across the neighborhood to a different part of the neighborhood where we're scared to go. Moving to a context where we think we might not be safe. You know, a lot of people now that are called to go overseas say, but it's just not safe to go overseas and speak Jesus' name. And I want to say, when in human history has it ever really been safe to go and speak Jesus' name in context where the entire culture is trying to squash Jesus out? When has that ever been safe? What's new about today? Nothing. Nada. Whether Rome is sticking us up on sticks and lighting us on fire, or ISIS is doing their thing, it's the same demonic deal. What makes us different from some other day? What makes your child different from some, somebody else's child? Are you taking any risks for God's will? Third, he begs God to do his will. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, referencing that great Mount Carmel moment, and the heavens gave him rain. You go back and look in that passage in 1 Kings, and you'll find that when he prays, he prays seven times, and there's a posture to it. I think it's important. He buckles his knees, he bends at the waist, and he puts his face down in that dry dust that you can barely breathe through. And he prays earnestly. His servant nearby sends the servant to go look over the mountain. Is there a cloud coming? No. He keeps praying the whole time. There's a distance in between the horizon and where he's at. Go look again. Go come back. Go look again. Come back. He's begging God, face in the dirt. Not a cup of coffee, sitting on the front porch in the rocking chair, watching the beautiful sunrise. You're a good God. And Lord... He begs. His life depends on it. Everything he is is wrapped up in it. He's held nothing back at all. Of course he's begging. <laughs> I had two dogs when I was growing up. One I hated and one that I loved. Uh, the first dog that we got when I was a kid, uh, my parents or my sister named, I don't know which one to blame, perhaps there was some sort of codependent cycle between them. But they named this dog, this pure-blooded collie, Queen Raina Patches of Sunlight. <laughs> and my brother and I boycotted. I ain't calling no dog Queen Raina Patches of Sunlight. It's bad enough that she looks like somebody's doll. You brush her hair every day and put a bow in it. Like, why do we have to brush her hair every day? Collies. Forgive me if you have a collie. They're wonderful dogs, and you're a good person, and Jesus loves you too. <laughs> all I wanted in all the world was a dog to play fetch with. I was a boy. It's the only thing I needed out of a dog was for it to play fetch. Your dad won't always play baseball with you, you know? And sometimes you need an automatic return machine. And so a dog who will play fetch with a tennis ball or a baseball or a stick or a machete, whatever, a dog that will play fetch, 
is all you need. So I took a stick out there and waved in front of Patches, and she wouldn't do a thing. We called her Patches. I'm not going to call her that big, long name. She's sitting in this patch of sunlight warming herself like she's living up to her name and looks up at me while I'm waving this stick like, stupid, get your own stick, and puts her head back down. So I go inside, and I rub food all over it. I don't remember which food I started with first, but I rub food all over the stick and let her smell it like dogs are, are like men. Food drives everything, except for one other thing we won't talk about in chapel today. That's a different chapel. It's coming later. You're going to split the food. <laughs> Wave the stick in front of this dumb dog. Won't even move. Throw it. Doesn't even blink. So I go to the library where all the sources of wisdom are found. And I talk to a reference librarian who is like the, the, the key keeper, you know. The key master to all knowledge and wisdom and ask for the book to train my dog how to fetch. She gives me three books. I read every page of them and I go back and I think, well, maybe it was meat. One of the books said meat, so I rub raw meat all over a stick. Bring it in front of the dog. Nothing. So I bring a, a rib with meat still left on it. Nothing. I think maybe she's a vegetarian. So I get like a watermelon rind. And then I get some kale. That's healthy. It's all the rage. She's a collie after all, pure-blooded, probably goes to Whole Foods if she could shop as a human being. <laughs> Nothing. And to make it worse, not only will this dog not fetch, she's insanely annoying in another way. She can really bark. So we had this uh, like half-acre yard that was fenced in in the back, and she was always seeming to bark at something. She was either absolutely motionless still or barking at something. Uh, she would bark at squirrels that we're going through. She's rah, 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 rah. Uh, she would bark at the rain. So the rain would come down, North Carolina where I grew up, it would come down just sheets and the thunderstorms would flow. It would just go over the tops of the gutters, even if you'd cleaned out the gutters, there's just too much rain to handle. And she would come right up underneath the gutters and rah, 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 go frothing at the mouth, biting and barking at the rain. <laughs> Mad at it. One day I looked out the back window and there's my dog staring at the sidewalk, yapping at the sidewalk. Stupid. What is going So I go out, I go down, and there's this little crack running through the sidewalk, and down just the inside lip of the crack where she can't get her, her nose and teeth to uh, get at them enough. Right inside the crack, there's a line of ants marching. And she's just right, 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 right at the ants, like telling them where to go, I guess. A nice way. I'm, I'm thinking Christianly. So is she. She's a Christian dog. She was in our family. I'm sure it was a kind uh, bark. When Patches died, I did not cry. <laughs> I know, like, three of you are thinking sociopath, writing it in your notes. <laughs> then we had a mutt that showed up. We had this open carport, and uh, uh, it was mostly a mutt. Duncan was a, a mutt. Uh, mostly chocolate lap, though, with, a, I think, a little bit of pit bull. But who knew? He came up into our carport one day, and that day we were also having ribs. Uh, I think it was maybe even my birthday. I don't know. I always ask for ribs on my birthday. I don't know if that's true or not. My dad will tell me later when he finds this sermon online. Hi, Dad. I love you. Tell me what I got wrong in the story. So he threw ribs out into the trash, and Duncan found them. My dad has a really soft heart towards animals, so he throws more food out to Duncan next three days. Duncan's ours forever. 
So one day I go out in the backyard, I'm supposed to clean up sticks so my dad could mow, I'm throwing sticks over the fence, and, and Duncan's just waving his tail and wagging and going nuts, I don't know what's going on, and, and I miss a throw, it hits the fence and falls, and Duncan takes off, kicks up dirt clods that hit me in the face. Real muscular dog, tears off, grabs the stick, runs back, drops on his haunches, puts it at my feet, looks up and rough. Are you kidding? This mutt from the street, I've done nothing with him. I never even said a word. Drops, I throw the stick, he turn, jumps, turns around in midair, kicks up more clods of dirt like he was on a timer, gets the stick, turns around, back, drops it down on the haunches. I keep throwing it. He's, his sides are heaving, his tongue is hanging out. Eventually I just walk in, I got my arm's tired. I'm gonna tear my rotator cuff. I'm, some other day I'll go back out and throw in sick with him again and I, he, I throw it in the pool, he jumps in the pool and brings it back. Apparently he's not mad at water for existing. I, I, <laughs> I throw it to the end of the yard, he turns, going, 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 his tongue's hanging down. I can see his heart beating through his chest now. I'm thinking I could kill this dog, I gotta stop this. So I throw the stick over the fence, he takes off full speed, face plants right into the hurricane fencing. <laughs> bounces off, does it again, realizes that won't work, sniffs back and forth for any pathway under the fence and starts digging like mad, realizes he can't dig fast enough, there must be a clock going in Duncan's mind, I don't know, racing, you know. He starts racing all the way around the yard, only can find a branch like this big, you know, thick and big, grabs it, ah, gets it in his teeth and runs and stumbles all the way back up to my feet, drops it, goes back on his haunches, You better believe I wept <laughs> when Duncan died. I still do. I love that dog. There are two kinds of prayers in the kingdom of God. One wants to sit in comfortable patches of sunlight Barking orders at the sky as if it was its kingdom to bark orders about. My will be done, my will be done, my will be done. The other figures out the game its master loves to play and begs the master to play it and will play it until it dies if it pleases the master. Which type of dog are you? You listen for God's will. You risk yourself for his will to happen in the world. Your reputation, your time, your money, your career, your life itself. And then you beg God to play the game you already know he wants to play. And then you listen again. Because his will never changes, but his directions do. One day Elijah prays, don't let it rain. The next day he prays, let it rain. Same will of God, different direction. One day to the next. You listen, you risk, you beg. You listen, you risk, you beg. Which type of dog are you? If you want to be Duncan, 
God's going to walk into the living room and say, why were you only coloring this? I had so much more prepared for you. All of that is yours. But like an artist, scared of painting a work on a larger scale than they've ever attempted before, many of us dial down and limit ourselves to comfort and selfishness What a small way to live. But God will take us one tiny risk after another, spiraling out on the canvas of our lives, painting together with us to create a life that is extraordinary, that others will stand back and look at and say, if they're closest to us, they'll say, you can't explain all of that just by what they did. Nobody knew about the ravens in the sky except Elijah till he told the story later on. Nobody was there with the flour and the oil but the widow and Elijah. It doesn't matter if the whole world knows what miraculous things God does in your life. And it doesn't even matter if they fully believe in it. Don't you want to have an extraordinary life? Don't you want something more than a picket fence and a nicely cut yard? I want that too. One of my neighbors is here. He knows I just killed all my yard so that I could replant it. It's very nice. But I want more than that. I desperately long for a life that means something. Don't you? Would you bow your heads with me? The easy question is, uh, do you want that? The harder question is, what are you going to do about that? If you feel like God's stirring in your heart that you need to give him time so that you can hear his will, I'm not having you come down. I'm not even going to have you raise your hand. What, What does it matter to me what you choose to do? Then I'd like to ask you, if God's stirring in your heart, to give him four hours. Oh, that's impossible, Dave. Where am I going to find four hours? Oh, maybe between 6 and 10 tomorrow night. Maybe between 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon tomorrow. Maybe Sunday afternoon. Gosh, you have so many four-hour blocks you don't even know. Oh, I have so many things to do. Well, let some of them go. Give him four hours. You can't hear God in five minutes. Some of you, you know that God's asking you to take a big risk and pause right now and ask him, what is that risk? Make sure it's him. If you've already spent hours, some of you have taken entire days alone with God within the last few weeks. You know the risk. You just can't pull the trigger. Lock it in. Ask God what the next smallest step is that you can take. And go to Ahab. Tell him it won't rain. Some of you are in the middle of one of the biggest risks of your life. And I'm going to ask you, hit your face to the carpet. Every time anxiety comes, find a dark corner, find an empty room, find a quiet space. Put your face on the floor and beg God to come through. I think he will. Lord, I pray for each person in this room who is yearning to become the kind of prayer you want us to be so that we can live the kind of lives you want us to have. I pray that you would do 99.9% of the work 
as soon as they move their finger to the trigger of their lives. May you be the gun and the ammo, and may you even help them aim, and just with the tiniest of motions, create the greatest difference. Please, Lord, do the work. Help us know our part. Would you stand with me? God has given each of us a canvas life, but he refuses to paint it alone. We're not given a blank canvas. He's already started some of the backdrop, but he won't keep working unless we work with him. So I send you out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to paint a life, not a life that just you can believe in, a life that God believes in. Go in peace.